We're in Psalm 116 this morning, 116. And again, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms. We started, oh, I don't know, maybe 14 months ago, and we're slowly working our way through. And they're so applicable, so practical. And again, remember this morning as we're getting into book five or hymnal five of the book of Psalms, they were put together um, during Ezra's time. And uh, so this was after the captivity and they were heading back to Jerusalem, heading back to Israel from from Babylon. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. And we just ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh and anew. None of us have this figured out. No one does. You are God. And there are many needs in this room this morning. And we know that you know those as well as we're going to see even in these scriptures. So help us if we haven't yet to bring those needs to you right now. To lay them at your throne. That we might hear from your word and not be distracted by those needs those emotions, but that we might give our full attention to your word for these few moments in eternity. And Father, I pray for the gift of teaching, that you would be glorified through your word. And, and Lord, if there's anyone here this morning, in the, from the youngest to the eldest, that has not received Jesus as their Savior yet, Father, I pray that you would help them to understand how much you love them, but through your Holy Spirit also convict them of their need for a Savior. For your word says there's no one good, no, not one. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for opening our eyes as believers. Open the unbeliever's eyes, spiritual eyes, that they might understand and that they would receive Jesus as their Savior at the end of this service. We just thank you for that free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 116. It appears that the psalmist was being attacked and almost lost his life. You'll notice in verses 3 and 4, the pains of death surrounded me, and we'll get to them. And maybe it was because of those who were coming against him with lies. You'll, you'll notice as we get there in verses 10 and 11. It says, uh, I believe, therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. But whatever the reason... He writes about how the Lord delivered him from those who tried to trip him up. And as we're going to see right out of the chute, our gracious, righteous, yes, our God is merciful. So verses 1 and 2. The God, God hears our prayers. I love the Lord. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has climbed his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Now, there's a New Testament verse that says uh, that we love God because he first loved us. And so you don't want to, you know, you want to read from Genesis to Revelation because it's not like, well, if I just pray right and God answers my prayer, then I'll love God. No, no, no. Love God no matter what because God knows what's best. His answers are yes, no, and wait to his prayers. And we don't like the second two. We always like the first one. And so sometimes when we don't get that first one, we think, well, God's not hearing my prayers. No, he does. He hears your prayers. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice, my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. You know, I find it interesting that the creator of all things would even care about our needs. And it's also interesting that he actually wants to hear from us. 
Those three words in the Hebrew, he has inclined, they mean to, they're defined as to bend down, to turn aside. And there's an interesting story in the New Testament, and it deals with the Apostle Paul. He was brought before the people, and the Jewish people wanted to kill him. And so the authorities went down and brought him into the fort to keep him safe. He was rescued by the Romans. Then certain Jewish men had made a vow that they would not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. We're not going to eat or drink until we have him dead. Well, Paul had a nephew, and that young nephew heard about the plot, so he went to the guards and shared about the plot about his uncle Paul. Then he was allowed to actually share with his uncle Paul, and once the info came to the captain, to the captain, he took the lad aside and he listened to his story. As you read it in the book of Acts, see, he was inclined He was inclined, again, to bend down, to turn aside. He wanted to know what was going to happen to one of his prisoners. Why? If something happened to one of his prisoners, it would have been a direct reflection upon him and his ability to command. Let that sink in. If something happened to one of his prisoners, it would have been a direct reflection upon him and his ability to command. So I have a question. If God didn't incline his ear towards us, wouldn't it be a direct reflection upon his character? Wouldn't it conflict what the Bible says he does do? But yet in our own minds, we'll often think, well, God doesn't hear me. God's not listening. God doesn't care. And we use all these flippant things going against what the scriptures actually teach us. You see, we are prisoners of this world and we are momentarily trapped upon this earth in these sinful bodies of flesh. And and God knows we need help. That we can't make it on our own. So he definitely desires to hear our voice. He definitely desires to hear our voice. And he listens intently. And that's hard for us to grasp. I mean, who are we? Who am I? Well, I'm a child of God. I'm one of God's sons. So if I really do believe that, then I am going to take the time to pray. And I'm actually going to understand that he is interested. That he desires to listen to our supplications. That he's actually inclining his ear towards me because God is an intimate God who personally cares about every one of his kids. So if you're here this morning and you're in that place, well, I just don't think God cares. I just don't think God's listening. I want you to know God does care and God is willing to listen if you're willing to take the time. But as you take that time to pray, then you have to take the time to listen. And that's even harder because we're just in a generation of, of gadgets and there's noise constantly around us. And so you and I, we have to take that time to when we pray to actually stop and listen. And for me, again, you might be new in the Lord. You may, well, what is that? Is God going to call me on the phone? What is, what is that? He's going to speak to you through his word. He's, predominantly, he's going to speak to you through his word. 
via the Holy Spirit who inspired the word to be written in that still small voice. And as you're reading the word and as you're lifting up your air and as you're maybe seeking counsel from other people, people are going to take you to the word and all of a sudden the word's going to come alive and you're going to go, that's not the answer that I wanted, but that's the answer I need. Thank you, God. Thank you. Because he does. He does answer. Verses 3 and 4. The pains of death surrounded me, and the bangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Notice, no one could deliver the psalmist. This is so key for you and me this morning. No one could deliver the psalmist out of his trouble except the one except the one who allowed the trouble to come upon him. God. You see, the enemy cannot touch the believer unless the Father allows him to. So why would we seek help from anywhere else first? Now, that doesn't mean that God cannot use others, because he can and does. But first and foremost, he desires for us to come to him to seek his help first. He will then guide us, and that might be through others within the community. But as long as we live, we need to go to God first. And if you need an example, there's many, but if you need an example, Job is the classic example. Just read the first couple chapters of Job. If you're young in the Lord and you'll understand what I'm talking about. God protects us. He takes care of us, and the enemy cannot come against me unless God allows him to. Verses 5 and 6, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. You see, the psalmist here makes reference to a few of God's attributes. Gracious, righteous, merciful. And to truly appreciate, for you and me to truly appreciate God's attributes the psalmist must have gone through some of his own trials or tribulations because he says, I was brought low. In verse 6 there, I was brought low towards the end. Those four words, they mean to hang, to slacken. To hang or to slacken. And there are those who will try to hurt us. They will come against us, sometimes even without a cause. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Why is that okay? Because it keeps us humble. It keeps us clinging to the one who has the ultimate answer. I will save you. Notice in verse 6 there at the end, I was brought low and he saved me. Not I saved myself, which we as Americans often try to do. I can do this, God. I got this. No, he acknowledged that God was the one who saved him. And through those trials and tribulations, he makes this observation that God preserves the simple. And the word preserves there, it means to hedge about, to have charge of, to protect. The Lord preserves the simple. You see, even though the psalmist was brought low, God was there. And he was able to see that it was God. And I pray for for myself and for you that we will see that it's not my ingenuity. That's not my craftiness. 
that it's not necessarily even my prayer life or my Bible reading, although that should take place, but that it is always God who saves us. That he gets the ultimate praise, that he gets the ultimate thanks. God, thank you for doing what you do in my life. And the more that you see that, the more thankful heart that you're going to have, even over the simplest things. Even over the simplest things. And you will find that your heart will have a heart, you'll, you'll start to gain that just true heart of gratitude over anything that takes place in your life. Even the bad stuff, because you know what? You know what the word says, right? God works all things together for the good. Jeez, I don't know how you're going to work this, but I'm going to praise you for it. I don't like it. I really don't appreciate it. But I'm going to praise you anyways, because I know you have a plan and a purpose. Verses 7 and 8, with such a peace, this is what I get out of this, with such reassurance of God's authority over the psalmist's life, he gladly makes a beautiful statement in the following verses. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now that that soul, that unseen inner part of every person is that place where everyone is seeking to find true love, joy, peace. And because of what you've done in the previous verses, God, verses 3 and 4, they wanted to get me, but you delivered me, you saved me. Because of the previous verses, I'm going to give you the praise. You are God and you bring my soul peace, rest, from those trials and tribulations. For you have delivered my soul from death, in verse 8, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. Now, now as I read this, I personally think that David wrote this psalm. And in his older years, he was maybe looking back at what Absalom was doing or had done. And it would definitely fit, but whoever wrote it, he was able to look back over his life and see how truly blessed he had been as what was. Return to your rest, O oh my soul. So I have a question for you and for I. Are we able, am I able to do the same? Or do we find ourselves dissatisfied with this life? Maybe even with our God. Because we didn't get what we wanted. We prayed and we didn't get what we wanted. So I'm dissatisfied. You see, it says, has dealt bountifully. Has dealt bountifully. Notice that in verse 7, at the end of verse 7. Again, those three words, they mean to treat a person well, to deal fully with. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. And these verses remind me of Psalm 23 and and how the Lord will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us. Even when we feel all alone. We have to be very, very careful of our feelings because we're never alone. The Bible makes that perfectly clear. The Holy Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us. And so this reminds me of Psalm 23. The psalmist was able to see God's deliverance. And now, now that this life is just about over, he looked forward to what was ahead of him eternal life I have walked before men now I will walk before the Lord I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living 
for you and I as believers, guys, one day, one day, I hope it's today, be fine with me, but one day we're going to walk with God. And I know for some people, oh, you're so crazy. That's mythical. That's, that's such a fable. Fine, you believe what you want to believe. I'm going to believe the word of God. One day, I'm going to wake up in heaven and I'm going to be literally walking with God walking with Jesus, and walking with all the saints who have gone before me. And so the psalmist is, he's able to just look back and put everything in context. Life has been hard. I mean, if, if it was King David, he did have a, a wonderful life, but he had some very hard times as well. I mean, to be want to be killed by one of your sons and having to flee your home, that's pretty tragic. So if this was David, I could I could see it fitting, and I could also see the next two verses fitting David. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Everybody. I could see David doing this. Everybody's a liar. You know, maybe the psalmist believed the lie of our spiritual enemy, and maybe you're, this morning you're believing a lie, that no one was on his side, that no one cared about him personally. Because what he shares is very insightful. You see, we often say things that are not true in our haste. We often say things that are not true in our haste. Sometimes when we are afflicted, sometimes when we are under pressure, sometimes when we allow our spiritual enemy to get us to believe a lie, that no one is out there on our side, that no one cares about us personally, is that true? Absolutely not. There is always someone. Always. You see, God has blessed us with a church family that is throughout the whole world. And and Claudia and I have had the privilege, and I've had the privilege of traveling. Not a lot, but a little bit. And it's amazing. In Cambodia, Christians love God. There are Christians who love God. In Egypt, there are Christians who love God. In Israel, there are Christians who love God. In Mexico, there are Christians who love God. But we can get into this little pity party and woe is me and nobody cares and everybody's against me. What does he say? I said in my haste, everybody's a liar. Nobody cares about me. We can do the exact same thing. That's why you you always want to read from Genesis or Revelation. Because again, the Bible is under attack. It's not relevant. It's thousands of years old. It's been changed. Although the King James Version has been around 500 plus years. Okay, see, let's, let's, let's just say it's been changed. It hasn't been changed for the last 500 years. How, how about that? Is that of any value? Well, yeah, here goes the wells. No, just, just get into the Word of God. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits towards me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I mean, what could we give to God that he doesn't already have? He spoke everything into being. So the only thing that he asks of us is to receive his free gift of salvation. And when we call upon the name of the Lord, it's a direct insult to the God of this world. And if you've been doing the daily reading this morning, just happened to say in the daily reading in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Now we put these slides in all caps. 
to make it easier to read. But if you grab a Bible and read it, it's lowercase, and that little, and that word God is lowercase. Signifying the spiritual enemy that is able to rule and reign over this earth for now. Whose minds the God of this world has blinded. Who do not believe. Believe what? Believe the gospel. That God sent his one and only son to die for you. And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe, maybe you're here playing church, trying to be religious. Or maybe you're an unbeliever. God loves you. But you are blind. If you don't believe the gospel, you're blind. You are allowing that blindness to take place because you won't be simple enough to read the Bible and accept it as fact. And if you really want to do research, it's unbelievable how much research you can do to verify the word of God. Or you can be just simple enough to go, I'm going to believe it. You know what? I'm done. I'm going to believe it. But it's up to you. Because there is a God of this world. His name is Satan. Lucifer, the devil, and other demons who try to get us to believe everything else but this book because he is the God of this world. The Bible says it. He's the God of this world. Lest the light of the gospel, the good news, the free gift of salvation, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the glory of Jesus, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. So basically, they're walking around with an umbrella. I don't want to know God. I don't want to accept Jesus. It can't be true. I haven't studied. I haven't read. But it just can't be true. Okay, well, it's your eternity, not mine. I'm going to heaven. Praise God. What you do is between you and God. But you will stand before him. And you will be held accountable. And he's going to say, that knucklehead told you on November 4th, 2018, that I loved you and I sent Jesus for you and you rejected it. Why are you trying to justify yourself? Why are you trying to blame me? I gave you ample opportunity. There will be no excuse when you stand before God. So be very, very careful with your, with your eternity. With your eternity. You see, the God of this world wants to call us, wants us to call upon His name. To get caught up in the entrapments of His game. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Just so you all know. It's not he who has the most toys wins. No. He who has the most toys still dies. So don't base your eternity on toys. You see, when we take the cup of salvation and bring that before others in the assembly, notice he says in verse 4, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. It's a direct insult as well as attack against the God of this world, the enemy's dominion. So again, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior this morning, only you can release the spiritual blindness that's upon your life by simply accepting the truth that God loves you and he sent his son to die for you. Verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And as we're going over these verses, remember, again, if you're new or visiting, that Psalm 113 and 14 were sung at the beginning of Passover every year. Psalm 113, Psalm 114. And then 15, 16, 17, 18 were sung at the end of Passover. Jesus being 
30 years old when he started his ministry, celebrated four Passovers with his disciples. So his disciples sang these songs with Jesus four times. And here Jesus is singing this song. And what is he singing? Precious in the sight of God. Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. He knows the disciples don't have a clue. They're still arguing about who's going to sit at the right hand and the left hand of God. They're still arguing about who's the greatest. I mean, Jesus, even on the night before his crucifixion, had to tell them, guys, stop it. Didn't you see what I just did? I washed 24 stinky feet. Don't you get it? You're to be a servant of the Most High God. Jesus knew tomorrow I'm dying. I'm physically dying. I'm going to be hanging naked. No loincloth. Romans didn't do that. It was all about shame. Shame, shame, shame. I'm going to be hanging naked on a cross. But it's going to be for all of humanity. You guys just don't get it? You will eventually. 40 days from now, you'll get it. You'll understand it. Not 40 days. Upon my resurrection, you'll get it. You'll understand it. But Jesus is saying, precious, precious. How precious was the death of the Son of God. And how precious is the death of anyone who loves the Lord. Yes, those who are left behind, they need to work through the grieving process. I mean, there's no question about that. But oh, how wonderful it is to know that the saint is now with the Lord. And I encourage you, if you ever get an opportunity... I see something very, to me, very shameful happening in our society today. And what we're doing is we're putting the old people away. Put them in homes. Get them out of our sight. Let them die by themselves. We'll visit them on the weekend. We'll take the grandkids every now and then. We don't want to scare the grandkids. They're old and they smell. Scare the grandkids. This is life. Everybody needs to see that we're all going to die. But if we put everybody away, out of sight, then life just goes on. Oh, no big deal. Oh, grandma died. Okay, we'll go to her funeral. Okay, no big deal. No, it's a big deal. You know, we had had, uh, my my wife's mom in with us for two years, and we were at her bedside singing and praying, and the grandkids all came over and saw her body and touched her body, even the little ones. I I think he was one or two at the time, our youngest grandson. It's okay. It's good. It's healthy. Our children cried over grandma. They're laying in the bed. But then they heard us say, Mom's with the Lord, guys. We were with her when she took her last breath and when she took her first breath in heaven. You see, you get to testify of God's goodness. And that this shell, this tent that's laying in this bed right now, that's all it is, a shell. Burn it. Do whatever you want to do with it. It's just a shell. She's already got her brand new body. You see, it's precious. It's precious. And you and I, we need to bring ourselves before that and bring others around it. And that helps us work through that grieving process. Because death is that final door of passage. No more pain. No more suffering. No more temptations. No more dealing with the issues of sin. Oh, how precious is death. For it delivers the believer from the enemy's tactics forever. Praise God. Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant. 
the son of your maid servant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Again, notice they're coming to gather with all the saints in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Again, that's why I believe David wrote that because the uh, temple had not been rebuilt yet unless it was written after the fact. But with the insinuation here of how the courts of the Lord's house. We know that Solomon's temple was absolutely phenomenal. It was absolutely beautiful. So, so David couldn't have been there. That's true. Because it was built after David. See, when you talk, think out loud, sometimes it comes to you. But he had the tabernacle, the tent. Huh. Interesting. Maybe Solomon wrote it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You see, the psalmist once again proclaims that he is going to give praise to God for all his benefits towards him. And, and fitting that that praise is in the midst of Jerusalem. Notice that in verse 19. In the midst of you, O Jerusalem. And this is where we are today. Even though the whole world might come against Jerusalem to divide it, as we know that our current president is supposed to release his police ban very shortly, it is the Lord's and God will defend it. One day during the millennial reign of Jesus, though, on this earth, he will literally rule and reign from Jerusalem. And again, if you're doing the daily reading in Jeremiah today, speaks of the millennial reign of Christ. So if you haven't done it, you, you might want to go home and do that. Waters will flow out from the temple and the Dead Sea will be healed, restored, will be made alive. The whole earth will once again turn into a tropical paradise and we will be servants of the Lord forever. We'll be loosed from the fleshly bonds and have our new heavenly bodies. And that guy should give us cause to give praise to God. Not only in the presence of the saints, but in the presence of the unbeliever, because everyone has a fear of death. Everyone has a fear of death. Our God offers salvation to whomever would cry out to him, for he alone has the power to loose the bonds of sin. And this is just a, this is one of my favorite psalms. When I visit people who are going home, um, I read this with them. I just love this psalm. It's one of my favorite psalms. When you're feeling down or you're feeling defeated, it's a great psalm to read. It's a great psalm to sing as the Lord sang even the night before his crucifixion. It's a great psalm to sing. Psalm 117. Well, let's do a little background here. It's the shortest chapter in the New King James Version of the Bible. Yet it speaks about all the nations hearing and lifting up praise to God. It is also the middle chapter of the King James Version of the Bible, with 594 chapters on each side of it. It's also a very interesting psalm to be sung at a Jewish feast. Why? Well, the Lord only had a short time frame in which to work, so he made it clear that his ministry was to the Jew first, as they were entrusted with the Word of God. And the early church, as you think about it, was made up only of Jews, and it remained that way for years. You see, the disciples of the Lord carried on a prejudice, and this is important for you and I this morning, carried on a prejudice that the Lord never taught them. The Lord never taught them this, to be prejudiced against the Gentiles. When there were occasions, the Lord ministered to the Gentiles, 
But for the most part, again, due to time constraints, he ministered to the Jews. The disciples were the ones who were supposed to go out to the uttermost parts of the earth, which would have included Gentiles. But instead of going out, they stayed in Jerusalem. Hence, persecution by the Pharisee named Saul came along. You see, God always has a way of accomplishing his purposes. You don't want to go out? I'll help you go out. But even with that persecution, they still didn't go to the Gentiles. It wasn't until Peter went to the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, that the early church finally realized that the Gentiles were to become a part of the church. You see, the faith, the faith was never to be theirs alone, for they even had a court of the Gentiles in the temple area. And I would encourage you this week to do a further study on that. We don't have time, but to do a study on your own. Just take the word in the Blue Letter Bible or in a concordance. Take and look up the word stranger. Take and look up the word stranger. And look at all the verses that speak of strangers. You're going to be amazed at how the Jews were specifically supposed to be reaching out to the Gentiles. God loved the Gentiles then. He loves them now today. But unfortunately... It's still taking place. And this is where religion comes into play. You see, the Jews were the ones who were supposed to be going out and sharing the good news or God's love of mankind. But unfortunately, they didn't do that, and they're still not doing it today. You go over to Israel or New York, and you walk around where the religious Orthodox Jews are. They will not look at you. They will look away from you. Uh, They will do anything they can to avoid you. You're a Gentile. You're fuel for the fires of hell in their theology, in their minds. It's very sad. It's very unfortunate. It's not true. And unfortunately, just they're, they're just being religious and picking and choosing, as even Christians do, what they want to believe about the Bible. So be very careful even with our own prejudices. So Psalm 117, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great towards us, And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Well, let's look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Because the obvious question needs to be asked, how can the Gentiles hear if there's no one going out to them? And so for you and me today, as we go to our workplaces or our neighbors or our family members, how can they hear unless someone shares with them? So Romans 10, verses that are familiar to you. Verse 14, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings, of good things. And that's a quote out of Isaiah 52, 7. So for now, how about if you do me a favor? Go ahead and look down at your feet. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Just go ahead and look down at your feet. Because oftentimes when we hear about the gospel going out, well, that's your responsibility. That's what we pay you for. I'm not going to your workplace. I'm not going to be able to get in there. I'm most likely not going to get into your neighborhood. Too many people, it's impossible for one person to do such a thing. So what does it say? How beautiful are the feet? That's your feet. You have the opportunity as a believer to go into your neighborhoods, to go to your workplace after work, not during work. You're not called to preach during work. 
You're called to be the best worker on the job site. Do what you're paid. Uh, do do what you're paid to do. But other than that, you are the preacher. Blessed are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. And here's the key verse, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the arguing of politics. I'm a Republican, you're a Democrat. You need God, I don't. Oh, I guess that's, no, that's not in there. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Don't argue politics, guys. It's pointless. Take the word of God. You know, God loves the world. God loves every Republican. God loves every Democrat. God loves every independent. God loves every socialist. God loves every atheist. God loves the world. Okay, now we're, we're done with that. Now how about you? God loves you. God loves you. That's the gospel. Are you going to receive Jesus as your Savior? You see, it was the Jews' responsibility to let the whole world know that God loved them. But upon the resurrection of Jesus, the church then assumed the responsibility of sharing the good news of Jesus being the Christ. We've got a slide here. This is very, very important. This doesn't mean that the church replaces Israel in the Word of God. At all. That's called replacement theology. It's from the pit of hell. At all. Because the church has and never will do that. We will never replace Israel. Israel's Israel. The promises given to Israel are still there in God's words. It's just that the church now holds the official gospel ambassadorship for God. As Paul says, what? You are an ambassador for Christ. You. You believers. Not the Jews. You believers. There's three groups of people today. There's there's unbelieving Jews that are going to hell. There's unbelieving Gentiles that are going to hell. And there are believing Christians made up of Jews and Gentiles that are going to heaven. That's all there is. Just three groups of people. Forget all the nationalities. There's just three groups of people. Which group are you in? Verse 2. For his merciful kindness is great towards us and the truth of the Lord (laughs) endures forever. You know, what are we to proclaim that God in his mercy allowed his son to become that acceptable sacrifice for the sins of all humanity? You see, even though the sins of the world are numerous, God's mercy has the ability to cover them all. And I would call, I would call that great. In verse two there, for his merciful kindness is great. I would call that great. And that word great there, it means to be strong, to prevail. Even as we did this morning, first John one nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's great, guys. That is great. Secondly, the truth found in God's word will endure forever. And I don't know about you, but I'm, so, I'm going to be so glad when these elections are over. I'm going to be so glad. You know, according to the commercials, nobody's telling the truth. Doesn't matter which side you're on. Nobody's telling the truth. There's nobody standing for the truth. And there's nobody that should be elected. <laughs> We're doomed. But the truth of the matter is, without God at the center of a person's life, there is no eternal truth. That's bottom line. 
So how could the truth come forth anyways? We have the truth, guys. And we're called to go out this week and to share that truth. And that's why the believer, you and I, we must rely upon the truth found in God's word. The truth will set a person free from sin. And the truth will do what? Endures forever. Notice verse 2 there. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. So what should we do because of that? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Again, as I've mentioned, I've already voted. I don't like lines. I've already voted. God, your will be done. I've done my part. If Russia's changing things, let Russia change things. God, you've got a plan and a purpose. I did my part. I'm going to trust in you because Romans 13 tells us to do what? God's ordained. God's ordained governments. Well, I don't like what he's doing. I'll take it up with God. But he did it. And he's going to continue to do it. And he's got a reason behind all of it. Get over it and pray for those who are in authority instead of whining about them. Pray, because that's what the Bible tells us to do. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you that your word does endure forevermore. And we've seen thousands of years of leaders coming and going And leaders thinking they're way more than they are. And at the end of the day, they are put in their place. They go to the grave, just like everyone else. Father, we do as your word says to do. We pray for our leaders that you would give them wisdom and discernment. That they would make godly decisions, that we might live peaceable lives. And we pray for us that we would, as your word says to do, submit to those who are in authority over us as long as we don't have to compromise our faith. Give us that ability, Lord, to pray for those who are over us and to pray for these new leaders that are possibly going to be taking control. That is not about them. It's about our country. It's about the word of God. Father, we thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. And and if you decide to take them away, we're going to thank you for that as well. Because we know you have a plan and a purpose. There has to be a one world government. There has to be a one world monetary system. There has to be a one world religion. Your word says it's going to happen. The birth pains are getting closer and closer together. So we thank you, Lord, for making us aware of that, that we would do even as Jesus said, look up, look up, for your going home is coming quickly. So, Father, help us to just keep looking up as we do our and fulfill our earthly responsibilities. Help us to just keep looking up. For we know you have a plan and a purpose behind these things. You know, as the saints are praying, I mentioned during the service that that maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, if you're if the spiritual blinders, if you're willing to take the spiritual blinders off, if you're willing to just accept the simple truth that God loves you, that He sent His Son to die for you, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, God will receive you as his child. But it's your choice, nobody else's. 
You have people around you that love you and are praying for your soul. Are praying for your eternal destiny. I encourage you to be humble. And accept the truth. If you'd like to pray a prayer, I'm going to pray that right now. It's not about the prayer, it's about your heart. If you're sincere, God will receive this prayer. Just pray this prayer, God. I have to admit, I am a sinner. I don't like admitting it. Even right now, my pride, it's in the way, but I'm asking you to overcome that pride. I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I ask Jesus to be my Savior, to be that acceptable sacrifice. I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life. I don't understand that, but I trust you'll show me what that means. So I do it in simplicity. I do it in trust. I do it in love because you first loved me. And God, I say I thank you for accepting me just the way I am. And that I am now your son. That I am now your daughter. Thank you that I can now call you father. My Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this morning. Bless our week as we go out into our mission field. Keep us safe and just give us boldness, Lord. Give us boldness to proclaim the gospel. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Well, all y'all stand, guys. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed in white as Jesus paid it all All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain Praise the one, oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh praise the one who paid my debt.
Amen. Go in the love of the Lord.